Hello and welcome to the podcast of First Church. I'm glad you could join us. And this message is from our Purpose Youth Revival Weekend. We had such a great time with the Kellys uh, on this weekend in August 2023. And Brother Kelly brought this word as the final message of the Youth Revival titled Jacob's Well. It was such a great word and we pray it's a blessing to your day today. I love his word. I just love his word. And, and I've, I do things probably a little bit different a lot of times. And I, I like to connect multiple stories that sometimes really don't have a lot to do with each other, except this, you know, it's just one little, one little thing. And my hope is that we, we can look at, at some of these stories, perhaps in a new light, and maybe it'll speak to us a little bit different. The Bible's pretty awesome like that. I, um, it, it has a way, I mean, this word is alive. And it has a way of speaking to us. I, I, told, I told him earlier, we can, we can read the same thing a thousand, thousand times and it never say anything to us. It never speaks to us. It means, I mean, it's his word, you know, and, and it's like going through the bagats and all that stuff, man. I don't know what was going on with them guys, but there was a lot of bagatting going on. And I, you know, it, but it's, it's hard. I mean, I'm, it sounded like it was fun for them. But, man, for us to try to read about it right now, oh, my Lord, I just don't know. It's, 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 it's a struggle to get through it, you know. But, but then you read through some of that stuff, and you read through it a thousand times. It doesn't mean anything. But when you read through it that thousand and first time, you're in a different season of your life. You, you, now you've been through some things. And that one scripture that you skipped over a thousand other times, that thousand and first time you read it, you're like, oh, my word, this is exactly what I need. It's not long after the death of his mother that Isaac remarries, or he marries Rebecca. And after a time of barrenness, the Lord intervenes and Rebecca conceives. And even though Rebecca is blessed, she recognizes that something, something doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel quite right. It's that mother's intuition. There's something happening inside of me that, that doesn't, feel like it should be happening and she goes to inquire of the Lord and and realizes that the turmoil that she feels inside is because there are two children not just one and, and they're struggling with each other in the womb and the Lord tells her that from that there are two nations in your womb two manner of people and the one people shall be stronger than the other and despite what tradition would normally dictate he says the the elder will serve the younger instead of the other way around. And so she gives birth to two boys. She never mentions this, this thing to, to Isaac. She gives birth to two boys and the first named uh, Esau, who grows into a skilled hunter. And the second one came out with his, his hand latched on to the elder's heel. And this younger son was named Jacob. And while his brother enjoyed the outdoors, he's, he's a man's man. He likes hunting and, and fishing. Jacob was, he was a homebody. He's a, he's a tent dweller. Esau, as the man's man, you know, it, it should come as no surprise that he became daddy's favorite. But, but Rebecca was armed with a prophecy that Isaac was unaware of. And, and so the younger is going to be stronger than the, than the elder. The elder is going to serve the younger. And that was reason enough for Jacob to become the mother's favorite. 
Jacob's little mama's boy. Birthright and the blessing at this time were both very valuable. And Esau is supposed to get both. Jacob would get one, but he would not get the other. See, the blessing was something that the father gave to all of his sons. And you see an example of of this in Genesis 49 whenever Jacob later is imparting this patriarchal blessing to every single son. And he prophesies over them. It It wasn't just the firstborn. It went to them all. But there's something that you've got to understand about this blessing. Your life informed the blessing. What you went through, what you did, it informed the blessing that the Father was going to bestow upon you. Now, sure, a a lot of prayer, much prayer went into forming this blessing from your your Father. Much prayer indeed. But years also of, of watching you grow, watching you learn, watching you mess up, watching you make mistakes, years of watching you react to life, your personality, all of these things inform the prophecy as well. Your position and your status in the family, it, 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 it influenced the blessing. And when you read through those blessings in Genesis 49, you'll start to understand this was not just a simple prayer of faith over the child. There could be great value in the blessing. And Jacob looked at Esau, and his position in the family. And he saw how much Esau was loved by Isaac. And he thought, I think I'd like to have your blessing. I think your status is in a much more favorable position than mine is. I don't want what is supposed to come to me. I want what you've got. The birthright, though, birthright was a little bit different. Because the birthright didn't just go to anyone. Everybody got the blessing, but the birthright didn't go to anyone. It went to the firstborn. Because when you were first, that birthright was laden with responsibility. When the father passed, the estate and the inheritance was divided into equal parts plus one. Okay? If you had two sons, you did not divide the inheritance, the estate. You didn't divide all of that into two parts. You divided it into three. It's two, it's, it's all of them plus one. If you had two sons, you divide it into three because the firstborn received twice as much as the other son. Now, Jacob had 12 sons. If all he had to his name when he passed was $13, that means everybody gets a dollar. But one of those boys is walking away with two bucks because he gets twice as much. The firstborn got twice as much land. The firstborn got twice as much money. Sure, there's a blessing even in, in, in the birthright, but the firstborn also got twice as much responsibility because you have to take care of the family business. And in this culture, you are a shame to your family if you let it go to the ground. You, you are the one who, who has to take care of the family affairs. Yes, you, you, you get twice as much stuff, but that is so you can be a majority owner in the stress and the headache of the responsibility. And so Esau has no problem giving away his birthright, and he trades it. He sells it for a little bowl of beans. He only gets angry 
when Jacob steals the blessing. And that's because Esau wanted the blessing, but he didn't want the responsibility of the birthright. And it reads to me a lot like modern Christianity. I want the blessing that God can give me but I don't know if I want all of that commitment and all of that serving stuff. I don't know if I want to have to go through all of that, that extra stuff that I, I'm not even sure if that's necessary. I, I don't want to do all that. I just want the, I want God do for me. God bless me, but I don't know if I want to do all that other stuff. I want him to answer my prayers, but then let me live my life. Leave me alone. I'll tell you with my own two eyes, I have seen people that were miraculously healed and they never come back to church again. Let me tell you this. If I see something that is so supernatural, there is no denying it was God. That changes my life. That, that wakes me up and says, there is a God. But not everybody's like that. I, it, years ago, in my, my home church, I witnessed a girl who, who was born blind in one eye. She came to the altar, and while everybody was praying, her sight was restored. Incredible. I've seen it. I was there. I know her name. I can call her by name, right? It was an obvious miracle, but I tell you, I could probably count on one hand the number of times she's ever been back, if she's ever been back. Because we get what we need from Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now leave me alone. Let me live my life. And we're not, we're not talking about some random person either. This, this person had family in there. They're connected. They weren't just passing through town. They know that there are connections there, but she never came back. I personally prayed over someone who could only walk to the altar with the aid of a walking cane. But, and, and she walked out of the church carrying that cane because God healed her of the chronic pain that she was dealing with in her legs. And we rejoice over that. We thank God for it. But I ain't seen her in years. Here's the problem that a lot of us deal with. We're enamored with the miraculous. We want to see God do great things. We want to see miracles and signs and wonders. We, we, we follow that stuff, man. We're, we're just, we're, we're obsessed with it. That's the kind of things that we want to see. But if we're, we're, we're excited about somebody getting up out of their wheelchair and leaving that behind, but we're not, we're, we're not upset whenever we see empty chairs and empty pews. Let me tell you, my friend, that we've got it backwards. I, I don't even know why I'm getting off on this again. Let me, let me tell you, my friend, that the, 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 the angels are not impressed when God does miracles. First of all, they've seen that kind of stuff all the time. Matter of fact, they can do that themselves. Show me something I can't do. The angels can't do this. The Bible says they're not impressed with, with, with our, I mean, we, we get so enamored with all of these things, these miraculous things. As, I mean, it's amazing. It's incredible. It's okay for us to get excited about that stuff. I'm just saying, we also, you know, it, it, it need, there needs to be a balance to this thing because the angels don't care about that stuff. It doesn't impress them. But the Bible does say that all of heaven rejoices when one comes to repentance, when one sinner repents. I, I don't know about you, but I want heaven to be throwing a party on my behalf. I want, I want to be a part of a church that has heaven going, my God, I can't wait for them to get back in service. I can't wait to show up on Sunday. Because I just know we're going to have a party. <laughs> That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. So I've, I've seen people get what they need and, and, and just walk away. That kind of stuff, it doesn't matter. Let me, tell you, let me tell you why it doesn't impress them. What does it matter 
if you gain your ability to walk, if you just walk your way into hell. I'm sure glad that you can see now. You once were blind, now you can see. But what good is it if those eyes take you to hell? Bob, Jesus, he, he didn't care. I mean, he wants to heal the blinded eyes and all that stuff. But he also said, if your eyes are going to take you to hell, you better pluck them out. He'd rather you be blind and make it to heaven than have your sight restored and you, make, and, and, and you wind up in hell. We want the blessing, but we don't want to have to deal with the birthright. And so Jacob's deception fuels Saul, Esau's anger. And the Bible says that Esau hated Jacob. Rebecca sends Jacob away to hide with the family, and he meets Rachel. He falls in love, and he works for seven years to earn her hand in marriage. He gets swindled at the altar. The Bible says, behold, in the morning it was Leah. She's probably single-handedly the reason that they, if you wear a veil, they say, you pull, the, pull back the veil, you may kiss your bride. They want to make sure. I don't want to wake up in the morning with Leah when I was going for Rachel. That boy got bamboozled. So he, he, he gets swindled at the altar, and he marries Leah. And then he marries Rachel, and between the two of them and their handmaids, he has 11 of the 12 children there that they, they would eventually total. And over time, Jacob, he, he saves quite a bit in his little piggy bank, and he's got herds and and flocks and all kinds of material gain. He, he, he's rich. The Bible says that he increased exceedingly. And the time comes for him to go back to the land of his fathers. But to do that, he knows that he's got to cross Esau's path. And the last time that Jacob heard from his, from his brother, Esau hated his guts. He wanted to kill him. And Jacob has to believe, if I see him, Esau's going to kill me on sight. And so just in case... You pay real close attention to this. Just in case, he divides up his family. Read it yourself. This is Bible. Jacob sends the two handmaids that he married first and the children that he had by them. Then he sends, those are the front lines, right? Then he sends Leah and her children. Last, I'm going to walk with Rachel and Joseph by my side. That way, if Esau attacks while we're watching the ones, the less important ones up at the front get slaughtered, we got time to escape. The ones at the rear have the best chance of getting out of there. You, you least important kids and wives, y'all, y'all go first. Because it ain't going to be as big of a deal if y'all die. I can recover. My dad used to tell me, boy, I'll take you out and make another one like you. It ain't a big deal. That's what Jacob's thinking. I can recover. Leah, you go on after them. If Esau kills you, we'll just call it even for what you did to me at the altar. But Rachel and Joseph, if things start going down, y'all turn and run. This guy's not what we call subtle about playing favorites. But surprisingly, Esau's very glad to see them. And Jacob's expecting war with his brother, but he's greeted with peace. And it's, it truly is a miracle of reconciliation. I, 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 God can restore families. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. I, I, I don't want bitterness to come in between me and family. I don't want bitterness to, to take me to hell. Forgive. Bible says forgive to be forgiven. I don't know about you. I need a lot of forgiveness. 
I, I, for, I'm, I forgive, man, I forgive you if you ain't even done anything to me. I'm going to throw out grace and mercy because I don't know about you. I need it. I need a lot of it. So I'm just, I, I freely give it, give it away. It's a, it's a miracle of reconciliation. Esau could have killed him. Have, might have been well within his rights. I don't know. But instead, Esau actually acts like he missed him. And Jacob wants to memorialize what God did for him that day. And it's a miracle. I want to properly honor God for what he's done in saving my family. I expected war, but I found peace. And the last time that I saw Esau, there was contention between us. And now there's reconciliation. Now there's love between us. I expected my family to be slaughtered, but God, he saved us. And Jacob wants to honor God for saving him that day before Esau. And so he purchases this little parcel of land in Canaan for 100 pieces of silver. And he builds an, an altar on that land to honor the Lord. And little does he know that God has plans for this little parcel of land. But to get there, we've got to take another little journey in the Bible where that land pops up again. As you know, Jacob was swindled in, into marrying Leah, the older sister of Rachel, whom, whom Jacob loved. The deceiver, as he's known, was deceived. It's got to be a hard thing being married to someone you know got tricked into it. And then having so little hope of marriage yourself that you actually agreed to do it. I want you to try to put yourself in, 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 in Leah's shoes. Rachel's name means lamb. She's this beautiful, pure, innocent little lamb without blemish. It's just, I mean, you just, you just want to love her. I mean, you, you meet her and fall in love. The Bible says when Jacob saw her, he kissed, and then he cried, and then he introduced himself. It's kind of weird, but that's what the Bible says. But don't try that, fellas. It worked for him. I don't think it's ever worked since. I mean, take it a little slower. But then there's, there's Leah. It, it, her, her name means weary, weary-eyed. Bible even calls her like plain, which is King James for ugly. She's weary-eyed. All right, there, there's even some translations where, where Leah means cow. She's a weary-looking heifer, y'all. <laughs> Jacob don't want to have anything to do with this. But then there's the... Y'all okay if we laugh in church? Here's the thing. We, we, we know all the stuff about the culture. I mean, Laban lays it out for him. He says, listen, it's a, it's a shame in our culture for, for the older sister to be married, or excuse me, for the younger sister to be married for the older sister. It's, it, it's a shame. We, we, we would be shamed. I had to do this. How low does your self-esteem have, have to be for you to say, I know it ain't going to happen for me any other way? And so you actually agree to do it. I wouldn't know because my wife absolutely adores me. She thinks I'm adorable. She thinks I'm so perfect I mess up sometimes on purpose just to knock myself off the pedestal she places me on. 
but not Leah. I, I, I can't imagine the constant mental state that Leah must be in. We already know, Jake, Jacob is not a subtle man. Do you, do you, and, 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 and here's the thing. Do you realize that, that Jacob doesn't wait another seven years to marry Rachel? I always thought that that was the case. He doesn't wait seven years to marry, to marry Rachel. He does work another seven years for her. That's not how long he waited before he marries her. The Bible says he's ready to marry Rachel the very next day. But Laban says fulfill her week at least. Now, what you've got to understand is that that's how long weddings lasted. See, it wasn't a one-night little affair because people got to take off work for this. They can't just hop in the Suburban in a little minivan. Let's go. We're going to drive across country. We'll get there in time for the wedding, and then we'll turn around and go home. No. They got to take off work for this. They got to load up the camels. They got to pack all the, you know, whatever. I don't know what all they had. They got to wagons and whatever and you know they 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 it's it's a process so we i mean if we're doing this we gotta if 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 this is happening we're gonna be here for a while this is gonna be a party y'all the wedding wasn't just a little little 30 minute ceremony where the preacher says some stuff and then we pack up and we go home we're gonna stay here for a while we're we're, we're gonna have a celebration the wedding wasn't 30 minutes it wasn't it, it, it was a week and Laban, in other words, Laban says, would you at least wait until Leah's wedding is over before you walk down the aisle with Rachel? A lot of people think that, that Jacob works another seven years before he marries Rachel, but that isn't what the Bible says. I'll prove it. Genesis 29, verse 20, 27. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service, which thou shalt serve me. In other words, then you'll serve me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. And Laban gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. So he waits exactly a week. And he marries Rachel. And then Genesis 29 and 30 says, And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet another seven years. He gets tricked into marrying Leah. And then he waits a grand total of one week. He waits until the wedding is over before he starts up the next wedding. You think they use the same decorations? <laughs> or do you think Rachel says, no, this is my day. Different colors, different flowers. Different wedding dress now that Leah had to go down on that one. You done ruin that one now. Rachel says, I want my own thing. You think they waited until the wedding is over before they started tearing down the decorations and putting stuff up for Rachel? This is what Leah's got to deal with. He gets tricked into marrying Leah, and then he waits one week before he marries the girl that he actually wanted. And worse is that Leah knew it. One week with her husband is all Leah gets in seven years he may have learned to actually appreciate and therefore even love this woman that he was tricked into marrying but not seven days what's got to be going through leah's mind in seven years i might be able to earn your love but seven days is is not enough time for me to show you the value that i can bring to your life especially when your mind is already made up about me 
I, I knew you didn't love me or think that I was pretty. But now that we tricked you into marrying me, I also know that you despise me. You hate me. How could I change your mind in just seven days when your eyes are so set on Rachel? But seven days is all she got. And as soon as her wedding day was over, her husband marries the girl of his dreams. And Leah becomes an afterthought. She doesn't have to wonder where she ranks in her household. The very next verse tells us that the Lord knew Leah was hated. And so he opened up her womb and she bare children. But her story is not over. Because then there begins this war between sisters. Leah has a child and she names him Reuben. Why? Because she liked Reuben sandwiches. I'm lying. That ain't, that's not why. They are good though, ain't they? She names him Reuben. Why? Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, will my husband love me. See, names, they didn't just name them because they sounded pretty. There was a meaning. She then has a, another son. She has Simeon. Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated. She then has another son and names him Levi because I have borne him three sons. Now, this time, will my husband be joined unto me. And these verses are back to back, and so we forget that there, there are years. We're talking about the, sum, the, the space of some at least three years, give or take. And by the time she has Judah, I think that she's lost all hope in Jacob, and so she turns her hope to Jehovah. And she says, now I'm going to stop vying for the attention of a husband who hates me. I'm going to start trying to get people to like me who never cared for me. Now will I praise the Lord. And so she called his name Judah, which we know means praise. I, I, now, I wish I had the time to get into all these names and, and the significance of their meanings, but I, I got to move on. Sally told me, don't preach long tonight. She's tired of hearing me talk. She's sick of my voice. She hates the way it sounds. She didn't tell me that. I'm lying. Rachel, Rachel is barren. And so here's her, here, here's her way to get back. She gives Jacob her handmaiden to wife. Bilhah, beautiful, beautiful name, Bilhah, kidding, Bilhah is going to conceive, but Rachel, she says, she'll bear the child upon my knees so that I'll have children by her, as we like to say a lot, she's living vicariously through her, I can't have children, so she'll bear it, and it'll be like it's my child, so Rachel by proxy. See, Bilhah didn't get to, to name her own children that she worked for and, and labored over. There's a whole lot of neglect that's going on in, in all of this stuff right here, okay? So Rachel has a child that she didn't labor over, but she calls his name Dan because now God has heard my voice. It's like schoolyard children. Nah, 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 nah. Now he's heard my voice. Now he's paying attention to me. What do you think about that? Then she has another, and she so names him, because with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. That's what his name is. Not one to take punches without firing back. Leah gives Jacob her handmaiden to wife. In the same way. Now I'll have sons through, through 
her, and, and this son is named Gad. Because she says, a whole troop cometh. You think you were blessed because of them boys? A whole troop cometh by Gad. And then here comes Asher. I'm naming him that because everyone's going to call me blessed. And this whole, whole chapter is a back and forth battle of vindictiveness between these sisters who despise one another because of this one man, because of his treatment over them and his neglect until finally God opens Rachel's womb and she has a son. His name is Joseph. Folks, it's, it, it, it's easy to miss when the scripture puts these events back to back like it does. But there are years and years that happen in between verses. And, and here's what I want you to understand, that this is the atmosphere that these brothers grow up in. They see the hatred. They, they see, I mean, they got to call each other by these names. <laughs> I mean, they're practically looking at the other one and, hello, uh, Rachel one, and hello, you, you, I was hated, and so God favored me more, and all this. I mean, this is what they're calling each other. This is their names. This is their legacy. This is the atmosphere that they grew up in. And each of those boys, it's not just the neglect on the, on the girls, on the wives. It's the boys know where they stand. This isn't one big happy family. It's four families that have to live together, and that is not the same thing. They see how Jacob treats Rachel, and by comparison, how he treats their own mothers. Don't mess with my mama. Huh? They see all that. And then when Jacob is about to meet Esau, and he expects Esau to start slaughtering them, they, they, see, the, they see the anxiety, they see the worry, they, and, and then they're part of the plans. I wonder if Jacob lined them up and said, here, I want you to take some swords. If they start swinging, I want you to start fighting so that we can run. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. But how do you think that they feel about being lined up at the front of the lines? Because they see how Jacob lines up the maids that he married and their sons before they first meet Esau. You think it doesn't affect Dan and Asher? You best believe it does. Leah, you go after them so I can keep Rachel and, and, and Joseph with me. Leah gave Jacob his first son. Leah did, not Rachel. Reuben is the firstborn, not Jacob. You think that didn't affect them? You, you think that that didn't affect Reuben? Reuben is the one that says, let's throw Joseph in the pit instead of putting his blood on our hands by killing him. But don't think that selling him into slavery is any less hateful than, than killing him. Because he says, if we kill him, we'll get nothing. If we sell his sorry hide, at least we can make some money off of him. That's what he's worth to them. Not only that, we'll be able to split up more of the inheritance when dear old dad dies. It's Reuben that comes up with the idea, the one who should get the birthright. But I want to show you what Scripture says when Jacob is on his deathbed. Genesis 48, verse 21, And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren. Folks, that isn't just playing favorites. That's what we like to call the birthright in the business. It's dividing it up equally plus one. I'm going to give you one portion more than all the rest of your brothers. If you have 12 sons, you didn't divide the inheritance into 12. You divided it into 13, and then you give the extra 
the above portion as the birthright because one of those boys is supposed to get one portion above. They're supposed to get the double portion. If everybody gets one portion, the eldest is supposed to get one portion above. It's supposed to be Reuben. It should be Reuben. But it's Joseph. He's not the firstborn, but he is the firstborn of the only wife that mattered in Jacob's eyes. He's the firstborn of his favorite wife, Rachel. He's not the true firstborn, but he's the firstborn that mattered to dad. And everyone thinks that Joseph is the favorite because he was the youngest son. Let me tell you, that's not Bible. I know we think it. It says that Joseph was the son of his old age. That's not the same thing. Doesn't say it was because he was the youngest. That, see, that's chapter 37 when the Bible says that. 35, he has Benjamin two chapters before that, and Rachel dies giving birth to Benjamin. Now, Benjamin is the youngest, not Joseph. It doesn't fit the timeline. There's only one way that this whole story makes sense to me. Because you've got to understand, in Jacob's eyes, Reuben doesn't count. Joseph is the firstborn in his eyes, not Reuben. Because Joseph is the firstborn of the only wife that he ever wanted to marry. Joseph is the firstborn of my dear, beloved Rachel, the favorite wife. If it was merely about having children at an old age, Benjamin, Benjamin should have been the one to have received the coat of many colors. Instead, it's Joseph. And the Bible says that his brothers hated him for it. It says that they couldn't even talk to him without confrontation. They couldn't talk to him without it breaking into an argument, without it making a fight. The Bible literally says that they could not speak peaceably unto him. And when Joseph is testing his brothers at the end of the story and he's seeing how they treat Benjamin, you got to understand, it's not just because he's the youngest boy and he wants to see how they treat the youngest boy. It's because Benjamin is the only other son of Rachel. He's the other son of the favorite family, the favorite wife. Joseph was testing him, thinking, I remember what it was like growing up in that house. I remember how my brothers treated us even after mom died. They should have been more kind to us. They should have helped us in our, our turmoil and our struggle. But no, they still, they could not speak peaceably with me. I see how they treated me all those years. I saw the jealousy. I saw the tension. I know that they hated me. So when he tests them, to see how they would treat Benjamin. It was to see if the old family dynamic is still alive and well. Do you still hate one another? Do you still despise a son of Rachel? It wasn't just about hating the youngest. Do you still despise the sons of Rachel? But as was the case with Jacob and Esau, time and absence had a way of bringing things into perspective. So those brothers, they recognized their mistake. They had to live with their father who was now stricken with grief after Rachel died. It drained the life out of him. And Joseph realized that the position he was in when his brothers bowed down to him, he'd forgotten all about it. And the scene brought to remembrance the dream that he had had those many, many years before. He'd forgotten all about it whenever they bowed down before him. And he, it's there that he remembered the dream. He recognized God just performed a miracle here. Everything, and it didn't happen the way that they wanted it to. It didn't happen the way that he thought that it would. But God still fulfilled his promises. 
Some of you are dealing with some things and you've got some promises that you're holding on to in your life. It ain't going to come the way that you think it's going to. But God's still going to work it out. You're, you're, you're trying to box God in to a certain way of doing things. God's here to tell you it ain't going to look like the way you think it's going to. The whole Bible is based off of that very fact because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they believed in the coming Messiah. But when he gets there, no, 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 that's not it. He's supposed to be a general. He's supposed to be a king. This ain't my king born in a little, in, in a little manger. No, didn't come the way that, that they thought it was going to come. All of a sudden, Jacob realizes, I'm sorry, Joseph, everything that I went through, the hatred, hatred from my brothers that led to my enslavement, the false rape accusations and the imprisonment, all of it led me to this place where I could be in position to save my family and put the pieces of our family back together. He tells his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. I didn't realize it at the time, but I can see now that everything that I've been through, all the pain, all the hurt, all the misery, all the rejection, everything that I went through was all part of his plan that God had a purpose and he was working it out. When it looked like I was neglected, when it looked like I was ignored, God was still working behind the scenes when I couldn't see him. I couldn't feel him. I felt like my prayers weren't reaching past the ceiling, but God was working it out behind the scenes, working in my favor. When it looked like I was going to be forgotten, God was, he, he saw me where I was and he was going to work it out. And so Jacob, he makes his way to Egypt to live. In 17 years, Jacob or Israel, he lives in Egypt. He calls Joseph to him and he tells his boy, deal kindly and truly with me. I, I, I want you to swear to me that you will not bury me in Egypt. I want you to bury me with my fathers. And Joseph, he sticks to his word. And the Bible calls it a very great company that went to bury Jacob. And they mourn with a great and very sore lamentation. That's what I want people to do when I die. I don't want people shouting and everything. Don't act like you're glad that I'm gone. I want you crying. You better bawl your eyes out, snotting and tearing and everything else. Better pretend like you miss me. I want great and very sore lamentation. That's what I want. So the whole ordeal evidently makes an impression on Joseph. He, he could have been buried there in Egypt. I mean, he's, he, he's, he's celebrated. He could have been buried there in Egypt where he built quite a legacy of his own, but some years later, on his own deathbed, he tells those that are with him, God's going to bring you out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want you to carry my bones with you. Don't you forget my bones. And so their journey into the promised land, it's, it's not a straight shot, of course. Man, it'd be easier if God worked like that, but he doesn't. Just take me straight there. He doesn't, he doesn't tell them everything that they're going to go through to get there. He just says, there's a destination flowing with milk and honey. That's all you need to know. Because if I tell you what you're going to go through to get there, you're not going to want to go. He'll reveal you the destination. He won't tell you about the journey. And that's what happened. He's, Joseph, he says, you're going to go to a land. But it's not a straight shot. Hundreds of years pass, but there comes a day when that promise passed down from generation to generation will be fulfilled. And I want you to see what happens in Joshua 24, 32. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem in a parcel of ground which Jacob had bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver 
And that became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. That little parcel of land. That parcel of land is in modern-day Palestine. And it's the same parcel of land that Jacob built an altar on that day that he went to meet Esau thinking that I'm going to be slaughtered. My life is over. But he built there an altar because God saved him that day. Jacob dedicated that altar with the name El Elohe. And in simple translation, it means the mighty God of Israel. But it was so named because of the mighty works that God had performed to do everything he could to save Jacob in his times of distress. And so indeed, indeed, God had orchestrated events for the good of Jacob in such a way that you could only call it miraculous. That's the kind of miracles that I'm looking for. I, I don't want something that you can explain away. That's why I'm not, I'm not satisfied with just a good move of God. I want to go home with a testimony. I want to see miracles where, where you can't look at it and explain it away. No, even, even the ones that don't believe, I want them to look at it and say, that, that I don't have any explanation for it. It had to be God. That's what I want to see. That's the kind of miracles that God performs for him. And it all surrounds on this little parcel of land. And it's fitting that, that Joseph's story would end on that same parcel of land. But here's what you've got to understand. If you take away any portion of Joseph's story, you change the outcome. Anybody ever feel like you've got some regret over things that in your past? Man, I wish I wouldn't have had to go through that. Man, that was dumb. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have made those mistakes. You change anything that you went through, your outcome is going to change. God is orchestrating your life. He, he's allowing you to go through things that, yeah, you don't like it. But the end, the Bible says he's going to give you an expected end. Some of you need to start expecting the expected I know we say expect the unexpected. Some of you need to start expecting the expected. That means I, I don't know how it's going to happen, but when I get to the end, all I know, all I know is it's going to work out in my favor. That's the expected end. I don't know how it's going to happen, but my expected end, God's going to work it in my favor. I know that I'm going to win. That's my expected end. God doesn't have some big surprise for you. He already told you how it's going to work out. That's your expected end. You change anything. You change any part of your story, it changes the outcome. You change anything that Joseph went through. He doesn't go to the prison. He doesn't go to Pharaoh. He doesn't go to Potiphar. He doesn't go to prison. If he's not hated by his brothers, he's not sold into slavery. You change any of that stuff, he's not there under Pharaoh in Egypt to save the rest of his family. You change anything that he went through, you change the end of the story. It had to happen exactly the way that it happened or you get a different ending altogether. That is God. That's God. It tells you that there is purpose in our suffering, that you are not going to go through hell on earth for no good reason because I tell you, I'd rather go through hell on earth than go through hell after earth. No, there is a purpose behind everything that you are going through and it all works out for your good. El Elohe, the mighty God of Israel. He has done mighty works. He has done mighty things. He's orchestrating it for my favor. 
He's working it out for my good. He's going to give me an expected end. El, El Olohe, mighty God of Israel. It isn't just that the works are great or mighty. It's divinely orchestrated. God saved Israel. It's no coincidence that Joseph is buried right there on that same parcel of land. So named because of everything that he went through. Because through Joseph, God once again saved Israel. This is twice now that surrounding this parcel of land, God has saved Israel. But just when you thought the story was over, God still had greater plans for this little parcel of land. This little piece of property called the mighty God of Israel. It would again play another role in saving Israel. A whole 39 generations later. The relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was quite complicated. Now, if you know your Bible, Jesus tells his disciples in Acts chapter 1 to be witnesses of him in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And if you really know your Bible, it happens in that exact order. Holy Ghost is poured out in Jerusalem. Then they go to Judea. But it takes the Jews some eight chapters. And I don't know how many years passed. It takes them eight chapters before they take the gospel finally to Samaria. And they start reaching outside of Jerusalem, Judea. And it's only, only then, it's because Saul is wreaking havoc on the church and so they scatter. The Samaritans considered themselves Jewish. Jewish by practice, viewing themselves as descendants of the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's sons. But the Jews didn't, didn't consider them ethnically Jewish, however, because of the intermarrying that took place during foreign occupation. One of the earliest written accounts of, of Jewish hostility toward the Samaritans dates back to the late third century, and they wrote about the Samaritans. They, they called them the foolish people who live in Shechem are not even a people. That is a direct quote of one of the earliest written accounts of Jewish hostility toward the Samaritans. They're not even a people. And so you can imagine the conversation that took place between Jesus and his disciples whenever they're leaving Judea and they must go to Galilee because there's a way to get there. You can avoid all the little bad places. There, there's a road that bypasses Samaria altogether. Let's take that one if we're going to Galilee, Lord. But that's not the road that Jesus took. He, he, he can't just bypass Samaria. John 4 and 4 says it like this. And he must needs go through Samaria. Because he's booked an appointment at noon with a woman that doesn't even know she's been scheduled and it's an appointment that has been centuries in the making. And now the day has arrived. Jesus says, you fellas, you go to town. I've got to meet somebody that's very important to me. And in John chapter 4, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Then here comes this Samaritan woman, completely unawares. She's not there in the cool of the morning like all the rest of the women are, loading up with water. She's there sweating. 
laboring in the heat, the hottest part of the day, because the rest of the women won't even look at her because of her past, because of who she is. Here comes this Samaritan woman, has no idea what awaits her. Give me to drink, Jesus says. How is it that you, being a Jew, would ask for me, ask of me for a drink, being a woman of Samaria? You, you guys aren't supposed to have any dealings with us. You guys hate our guts. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you only knew the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. It's like Jesus looks at her and says, Honey, if you only knew how long I have been waiting to set this appointment, I've had this on my calendar for hundreds of years. If you just knew how long I've been waiting to meet you, you. <laughs> If you're going to get something from God, you got to be honest with them. You got to be honest about who you are. Whenever, whenever, um, whenever God wrestles with, uh, with Jacob, he asks him what his name is. Jacob could have said anything. My name's Bill. It's nice to meet you. He could have said anything. But he has to tell him, my name's Jacob. But you got to remember, this ain't just a pretty name. He's got to look at He's got to look at this angel of the Lord that he's been wrestling with, and he's got to tell him, they call me the deceiver, the supplanter, the liar. You got to be honest about who you are if you want to get the blessings of God. You got to be honest about what you've been through. And so when Jesus looks at her, he, he, he's testing her. Are you willing to be honest about what you're going through? Are you willing to admit that you have needs? Are you willing to take off the mask and admit, I'm not perfect? I got struggles. I got problems. I might have barely been able to get myself out of the bed. I might have barely been able to get myself to church. I'm going through it. I'm struggling. Are you willing to be honest about what you're going through? And I can give you, he says, I can give you the water that springs forth into everlasting life. But can you admit that you're thirsty? I can give you solutions, but you got to admit that there are problems. Can you be honest about who you are? Can you be real with God? Jesus says to her, go and call your husband. It's all, a, it's all a test. Go and call your husband. Come hither. It's all a test because this woman doesn't have a husband. She's got friends with benefits. She says, I feel like that's a polite way to put it. Maybe it's not. I don't know. She says, I have no husband. She passed the test because Jesus says, you've said, well, you were honest. You're not perfect. You're not, you're not perfect. You've had five husbands. And the one that you're living with now, you're not married to. You've spoken truthfully. She thinks she's talking to a prophet of the Jews, but there is dissension between them over the proper place to worship. If you look through um, Deuteronomy, I think it might be a little bit in Leviticus, there is a place you're supposed to go to, to Jerusalem to worship. You're supposed to go to Jerusalem to sacrifice on the altar. There's the dissension between these two groups over the proper place to worship. And she brings it up. She says, I, I know what the Old Testament law says about the proper place to worship. But let me tell you, if that's the part that you're getting hung up on, you are missing the point. You're hung up on the where. You need to be worried about the who. Yeah. 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 Jesus tells her, but the hour cometh 
and now, honey, it is. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So you got to get into the spirit of worship right and understand what it's all about. But you also need to worship in truth. You need to understand who it is, who it is that you're worshiping. And now he, he, he's laid it all out there before her now. I believe that there is a reason that this divine appointment has taken place on this parcel of land at Jacob's well. El Elohim, mighty God, mighty God of Israel. But it's still a mystery to her. She still doesn't get it. It's not revelation yet. So she says, I, I know the Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When, when he gets here, he'll tell us all these things. I wonder if she started suspecting, and that's why she said it. I don't know. Jesus tells her, I that speak unto thee am he. <laughs> and now with Revelation, see, there at this holy site, known as the mighty God of Israel, so named because he had saved Israel. It is the mighty God of Israel in flesh. Yeah, God is spirit, but here is Jesus, fully man, but he's fully God. It's spirit dwelling in flesh. Here before her is the mighty God of Israel, and he's here to save Israel again. See, as far as the timeline is concerned, this is the first time that Jesus reveals himself as Christ the Messiah. The first time in all of Scripture that Jesus reveals his plan, that Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah, it is to this woman who was not even important enough for us to know her name. It is to an unnamed Samaritan woman that is living in sin. See, what God brought Jacob through, it led Jacob to buy this little parcel of land that Christ revealed himself on. Jacob dedicated that land, the mighty God of Israel, because of what God did to save him. And it's the same land that, J that Joseph was buried on. Also fitting, because through Joseph, God again saved Israel, this time from drought. And now 39 generations later, Jesus sits on this same parcel of land, Jacob's well. And not only is he there to once again save Israel, he's there to save the whole world. The whole thing is divinely orchestrated. He's been working it out for centuries. I've got an appointment with one person. You're not here by accident. You're here for a purpose. There, there's, there's God, divine purpose in your life. But it begs the question, why this woman? Why, why this lowly, sinful, Samaritan woman? She's not even important enough for the Bible to, to make mention of her name, but she's so important to Jesus that he went out of his way to meet her at noon when he knew that she would be there. That wasn't coincidence. He had a purpose for her. And I'm going to prove it to you. You watch this. Let, let me tell you what God can do through one person. One person that doesn't even think that they're very valuable. Let me tell you what God can do through somebody like Leah. Let me tell you what God can do through somebody like this Samaritan woman that thinks I've messed up my life so bad. I don't, I don't have any value. God can't do anything with me. Look at, look at, look at what all I've done. Look at where I've been. I, I, don't, I, I don't have the talent that they have. I don't have the skills that they do. I don't have the testimony that this one has. Look at the mud that I've dragged my life through. But let me tell you what God can do through somebody just like that. 
Somebody that, if they walk through the church, a lot of us would just dismiss them and say, oh God, here comes this one. But no, it's that kind of person. That's the one that God says, I've got a plan for you. If only, you, if you just had any idea what I've got in store for you, if you had any clue how long I've been waiting for you to step through those doors and make your way down to this altar, if you knew the great things that I could do through you, Uh, watch this John 4 39 here's what this this Samaritan this sinner this worthless woman did many of the Samaritans of that city believed on Jesus for the saying of the woman which testified he told me all that ever I did and so when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him. They besought, this is talking about Jesus, that he would tarry with them, and he abode there for two days. And many more believed. Now because of Jesus' words. And they said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves. And we know, we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Happened through this one woman. And I want you to watch this. It planted a seed of revival that would not come to fruition until Acts chapter 8. When the Bible says, and uh, I, think it's, I think it's the very first verse, verse of, of Acts chapter 8, that, I mean, these guys are, you realize that the church in Jerusalem, I mean, you've got Mary, the mother of Jesus, showing up to church. You've got, you've got Simon Peter. You've got all these guys that were with him. Why would you want to go to church anywhere else? Well, they don't. They stayed there. They kept all this to themselves. Then Saul comes. He starts knocking on the doors, arresting people. By the time we get to, I think it's Acts chapter 9, it says that he was persecuting them. Now Saul's killing them for their belief, and he believes that he's well within his right. We've got to, we've got to slaughter them. We've got, to, we've got to stop this outbreak. It's then that they scatter. And watch what it says in verse 5. Then Philip went down to Where? Samaria. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and many that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city." Have you ever wondered why Philip was able to have such success in Samaria of all places? With one accord, these guys received the message of Christ. You want to know why? Those Samaritans are thinking, listen, buddy, we knew it before you did, Philip. We knew about this Christ before you came here because there is that unnamed sinner Samaritan woman that came with a testimony that said God showed up. And because of that one woman, there was unprecedented revival. Everyone in town looked down on this woman, but something changed in her when she had one encounter with Jesus Christ at that well. And she told us all about him. We believe. That's what they said. That's John chapter 4. And then that revelation came from this verse right here. Once again, John 4, 39. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. That's what God can do through one person. That's what God can do through somebody that thinks that they have no worth, that they have no value. They have nothing to bring to the table. That's what God can do through you. Musicians come. I'm, 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 I'm closing. He had a meeting place 
set up for 40 generations to meet this one woman. Don't tell me that God doesn't see where you are. He knows exactly where you're at. Man, he's been waiting on you. He's been waiting on you. This one woman who evidently wasn't important enough for the, for the Bible to even name her. It might lead you to wonder why. Why her? She's just a lowly sinner. She's a no-name nobody. She's no Paul. I mean, we, we, get, we get Paul. I mean, we kind of wish, you know, Saul wouldn't have killed everybody that he did. Kind of wish it wouldn't have worked out the way that it did. But again, you change any part of the story, you change the outcome. You wonder why Paul was willing to go through as much as he did? I, I have to think that a little bit was because of conviction. I'll do anything for you, God, because when I look at everything that I've been through, I'll, I'll go through the worst pain, the worst torment, the worst turmoil on earth because I don't deserve. I don't deserve to do what you've called me to do. You, th you wonder why Paul was able to go through as much as he did because he knows I'm not worthy. I, I, I'm not worthy. But God used me anyway. He's so thankful for his mercy and his grace that, that he's willing to do, go through anything. But there's this woman. She, she's, she's no Paul. I mean, Paul makes sense. His evangelism, his missionary work would change the world. It would lead to thousands upon thousands upon thousands coming to salvation. And, and it would shape the New Testament as we know it with his letters. We preach the mess out of Paul. We plagiarize Paul all the time. <laughs> Paul makes sense. Why this woman? No, to you and me, this woman wasn't important at all. See, to, 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 to Jacob, Leah's overlooked. Leah's neglected. What purpose do you have? What you, you got nothing to bring to the table. I'm talking to some people. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm dead wrong and I ain't talking to anybody. That's fine. I, I, I have fun preaching anyway. I tell you what, I, sometimes I'm just preaching to myself because I still feel like, God, what in the world are you doing? I got, man, I got friends that can preach circles around me. And I think, God, why? Why, why me? Some of you... This woman, this woman wasn't important. We wouldn't have given her a second thought. But to Jesus, she was someone worth going out of the way for. That's the way he views you. That's the way he sees you and I. You think you got no value, but let me tell you, the God I serve is willing to go way out of his way just to get to you. The Bible says he's, he, he'll leave the 99 to go for the one. Why her, you might ask? And the same line of questioning might lead some of us to ask for, of ourselves, why me? I'm nobody. My name is, I'm nobody. My name isn't valuable. I don't have the right pedigree. Maybe you weren't raised in church and, and you think that that's something against you. Let me tell you, that makes you more valuable. I, I've, 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 I've got a, a cousin that now he's, he's got a fiance that she wasn't raised in church. She's, for some reason, she's insecure about it. I found that out. She's insecure about it. She thinks that's something working against her. I wish I could tell her. Being raised in this, 
It's easy to serve God. But when you make an active decision to go against your family's wishes and you decide, I'm going to serve God, that takes a strength, a boldness, a cur- I respect you more for it. That makes you more valuable. You're, you, you, you might be looking at yourself thinking, look at my past. Man, look at what I've done. I have taken whatever value that God had whenever he made me and I've just dragged it through the mud. I've messed my life all up. I got nothing to bring to the table. I'm nobody. For some of you, it might not even be your past. It might be your present. Look at what I'm doing now. How could God use me? The woman at the well had five husbands in her past, but she was also living with a man that she wasn't married to. That was her present. It wasn't just her past that was messed up. She was Her present was messed up. She was just a messed up woman. How could God look at me in my current situation and see anything of value? Why would God go out of his way for somebody like me? And the answer is quite simple, folks. Love. (laughs) Love. Love led Jesus to value a woman that we wouldn't have even given a second thought over otherwise. We might not have given her the time of day. I imagine there's some people that when they saw her, they walked on the other side of the road. They made sure, don't even make eye contact with me. If they they were walking just a little bit too close, they probably, don't you touch me. I don't want to get what you got. I don't know if that's contagious or not. (laughs) Neglected. All alone. Can anybody really see me? Can anybody really see what I bring to the table? Love led Jesus to go out of his way for a woman that nobody thought was worth giving her the time of day. And everyone else was gathered at the well in the morning, but not her. She couldn't go with the other. She's getting her water at noon so that she doesn't have to deal with the stares and the whispers and the judgment and the disapproval. Have you seen what she's done? You know what she's doing right now? You know about her? They're making up stuff about her. But Jesus saw all that. He loved her anyway. Jesus saw value in someone that everybody else thought was worthless. And I believe that there was value in her life alone, sure. But God's love revealed to her. That that love led to a revival in Samaria that would not have happened if the seed had not been planted on that day at Jacob's well. It was because of her, because of her and her testimony, that a whole country, that all of Samaria, that all the Samaritans believe. They had the revelation of Christ before Philip came and preached Christ to them in Acts chapter 8. They already knew about it. They said, we believe now that he's the Christ. They knew about Jesus before Philip ever got there. When Philip came, they readily received the message and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And it wasn't because of Philip's message. It was because of that Samaritan woman's testimony. It was because of that woman at the well. Church, we got to be careful who we dismiss because you never know which one might lead to unprecedented revival in this city. It can be the one that you least expect. And as a matter of fact, I think that most oftentimes it is the one that you least expect. And I don't know, maybe in your eyes, in your perspective, the one that you least expect is the one that looks right back at you in the mirror. You just might be the you might be the key to revival in this city, but because you devalue yourself, you belittle yourself, you you underestimate what you are capable of accomplishing when God works through you, somebody's missing out. Would you stand? How 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 many souls are waiting on us to realize our worth 
to realize the purpose that God has in our life. Love, love led Jesus to this woman that day. And I'm here to tell you that his love led to this moment. You showed up today. You thought that this was just a random Sunday. No, you are here by design. You are here by divine design. God has purpose for you in your life. When Jesus knew you would show up to this church on what you thought was just a random Sunday, it took, look, listen, it took 40 generations for his plan to come to fruition. When God went out of his way to meet that woman at Jacob's well. Oh, Israel, Israel thought that he knew salvation whenever God saved his hide from Esau. He didn't have a clue what true salvation was. See, little, little did Jacob know that God was thinking there is coming a day I'm going to reveal the Messiah. I'm going to reveal those mysteries that I, I'm, I'm going to reveal this secret that I have kept hidden for, for, for centuries that so many, the elect, had no clue what was going to happen. I'm going to reveal it to this woman. And you're, then you're going to see what saving Israel truly means. Forty generations later, 40, 40 generations before this thing came to pass and Christ was revealed to this unnamed woman at the well. And I wonder what had to happen in the background of your life to lead you to this moment, to lead you to here and now. What brought you here? If God was willing to orchestrate all that just to get to her then, one woman who isn't even named, what is he willing to do for you now? How long do you think he's been waiting on you to get a hold of what he's got? You think you don't matter to God? His love brought you here right now. You could be anywhere else. And let me tell you, this probably don't make sense, but you could be anywhere else. You didn't have to be born so that you could be here today. You could have been somewhere else. You could have been born. You, you could have been, it, your time could have been centuries ago, but God placed you here. He placed you now. He went out of his way for that one woman. And you think you have no value. He went out of his way for her and it planted the seed of revival that led to the salvation of Samaria. You don't even know the value that his love can give you and what he can accomplish through you. I'm here to tell you, God is fighting to give you hope. He's fighting to bring your salvation. God intends for you to make it. He's fighting for your purpose. He's doing everything that he can to make sure that when you see his face on the other side, he can look at you and tell you, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's nothing that you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. There's no sin too great. There's no past too murky that the blood of Jesus cannot overcome it. I'm asking you to come down to the altar right now, to the front. Lay it all down on the altar. I know that you came here with needs. I know that you came here with fear. Some of you brought your doubt with you. I'm asking you to bring it to the altar with you. I know that you came here with insecurities. You came here with problems. You came here thinking that you have no value. We could go on and on and on. But if you want to get the water, get to the water that springs forth wells of everlasting life, you first got to be honest about what you're going through. Hear me. You got to be honest and say, I need Jesus. I can't make it without him. I, I, I wish hang on just a second Je Jesus, Jesus tested this woman he tested this woman go and fetch your husband 
She had to say, no, that's not what my situation is. I wish, I wish I could tell you that I was married and that life was grand. And some of you were here today. I wish I could tell you that I wasn't struggling with debt. I wish I could tell you that I wasn't depressed or, I, or, 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 or oppressed. I wish I, 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 I wish I could tell you that I wasn't struggling with anxiety. I wish I could tell you that there wasn't sin in my life, but that's not what my situation is. That's not who I am. I wish I could tell you that my family had it all together, but we're a mess. We're, a dis, we're, we're dysfunctional. That's not who I am right now. We're struggling. I'm struggling. Jesus looked at her and said, well said, well said. You were honest, now you just wait and see what I got for you because you were honest. You were real with me and you told me everything that you're going through. Because you were honest, I'm going to give you what you need. So I just want to know, will you be honest? Will you be honest about your struggle? Will you be honest about your problems? Will you be honest about what you're going through and bring it to God and say, Jesus, I need you. I came to tell somebody about the love of God illustrated, orchestrated through a little parcel of land called Jacob's Well. And I'm here to tell you that God has orchestrated your life to bring you to this moment right here. What do you need God to do for you? What do you need God to do for you? Do you need the Holy Ghost? You can have it. Do you need to be baptized in Jesus' name? You can have it right now. That can be you. Do You can leave here with a testimony where you go and you tell your friends, I was one way, but now I'm another. I was I was somebody else. Now you have no idea what God can do through me. You can leave here with a testimony that says I'm never going to be the same. What did you bring with you? What did you bring with you? Will you lay your needs down at this altar? Would you lift your hands right now and surrender to God? Will you let God do a work in you? Do a work through you? Let the love of God minister to you. Let the love of God do a work through you. You can be the key to revival. You can be the one. You look at yourself and you think, I have no value. I'm not worth anything. God can't use me. I'm here to tell you, that's not what God says. That's not what He thinks about you. No, He's looking at you and, with pride. He's looking at you and saying, I, I, I can work miracles through this one. Oh, oh, I can use this one to bring revival. I can use this, this one to witness. I strategically placed this one. Come on, you got value. You've got value. You matter. There's a place for you. There's a purpose for you. Come on, lift him up right now. Lift him up right now. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.